right to Lane and jams it down. Taking you behind the scenes and inside the locker room. You're listening to The Raptors Beat with Josh Lewinberg and Nikki Reyes on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here. Welcome to The Raptors Beat. Nikki and Josh here with you. And Josh, I'm really looking forward to our guests on this week's show. It is the multi-talented Kia nurse, Phoenix Mercury Guard. Of course, she's also our TSN colleague. Uh, she's going to join us uh, around 10:20 live on the show. Lots to talk to her uh, about. But let's get into what is an interesting week for the Toronto Raptors. Uh, one that I think we're all glad to kind of see come to an end. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it two very weird games, of course. Uh, with the Cleveland Cavaliers and then with Philly, where would you like to start? Start? Should we start with with the positive and, and what we saw last night uh, against Philly? Although it was a loss, or I should say, the night before, uh, it was a loss, but it was a hard fought loss, I would say. Yeah, I think if we're judging a game on its watchability, these two games are probably night and day. Uh, a whole lot more watchable against Philadelphia <laughs> than it was against Cleveland. Uh, listen, I, I mean, I thought both games were hard fought to a degree, right? Like, in a way, the Raptors did what they could with what they had in both games. It sounds silly to say about a 45-point loss, but, like, it wasn't for a lack of effort necessarily. It was for a lack of talent on the floor. Eight players available, four of them um, were regular reserves. It's not like they had any other starters or any other key players available and and the other four literally met the other guys 90 minutes before tip-off so we'll get into that and I, I definitely want to talk to Kia about that just from a player's perspective what that really means how tough that is to adjust and adapt on the fly when you're meeting people that you're playing with sure just before you, you, the ball gets thrown up but in terms of the Tuesday game against Philadelphia I mean, even still, the Raptors only had 10 guys, six of them from the regular roster, two starters, and both guys, Siakam and Trent, were coming back from two-week layoffs, just coming out of the protocol and playing 40-plus minutes in that game. But I, I love the fight from that group against a, a Philadelphia team that was pretty close to full strength, not 100%, obviously Danny Green and a few others out, but Joel Embiid was as dominant as I've seen him in a long time, taking advantage of the fact that the Raptors didn't have a, a real center in uniform. Uh, Chris Boucher in that matchup giving up 80 to 100 pounds, but Boucher had what one of the best games that he's ever played. Pascal Siakam was excellent. Uh, some really good minutes from DJ Wilson in the second half. So uh, a, a lot to like, even though the result obviously isn't what the Raptors had hoped for. Yeah, of, of course. But dealing with the circumstances, they obviously made uh, the best of it. Going into that game, I thought that they were going to not have their doors blown off like what happened in Cleveland because that was a totally different circumstance. But uh, it was a lot more competitive than I thought it was going to be, and that's a good thing. And you said it, like Chris Boucher had such a phenomenal game, but he's so perplexing to me, Josh, because uh, that game against Cleveland, while he wasn't a complete no-show by any means, you know, Chris has had 
a, a rough season so far, and, and we know the story. We've talked about it at nauseum on this show that he he's had injuries that he's dealing with. He just has to find that level of consistency. So where do you think Chris Boucher is between what we saw against Philly at that? Is he at that end of the spectrum, somewhere in the middle? Or he's not as bad as we've seen this season, that's for sure. No, and I think we're starting to see some semblance of consistency from him. Like, over the last month or so, he's been a lot better than he was to start the season. Now, obviously, low bar, but... I think with with Chris and Nick Nurse talks about this all the time with with Boucher, there's a role that he feels comfortable in. If you're asking him to do more than that, he struggles. And if you ask him to do less than that, he struggles. So I think if you look at the game against Cleveland, when I mean, he he might be your number one option. I know that Utah Watanabe had a really good game, and, and that's where some of the experience, some of those reps that he got as the number one guy with Japan in the Olympics over the summer really started to pay dividends. But Boucher, certainly the most experienced NBA player on the floor for the Raptors that night. But you're right. like He, he did look out of place in that role because, quite frankly, that's not his role. But then over the over the season when we've seen him take a step back when he hasn't played as many minutes and the the certainty of the role wasn't as clear. He didn't know when he was getting in. He'd come in and play a couple minutes. Understandably, that was a tough spot for him to be in. Um, I, I think the role that we've seen him in where he is the most comfortable, similar to the one that he was in against Philadelphia, where You've got guys like Siakam and Trent on the floor, so you're not looking to Boucher to run the offense by any means, but he's able to play off of those guys. He knows he's going to be playing big minutes, whether it's starting or in some cases it's been off the bench. That's the role he feels comfortable in, but something that Nurse has also talked about is when this team is fully healthy, when they're at full strength, which hopefully will be soon, that's just not a realistic role for Chris Boucher on this team, so he's got to find a way to be productive in fewer minutes coming off the bench. That's just the reality. Absolutely. And and that's what I think I found curious that night against Cleveland is that he's the most, you know, veteran on, player at that point on the team. Um, I was looking for a little bit more leadership out of him, but um, you're right. He has to play his role. And Nick Nurse has said it often, you know, he doesn't need to always be draining shots and, you know, relying on that three that we saw last season. It's doing the other little things and being more involved. And we definitely saw that last night against Philly. He was involved in, and he really was able to do a great job on B. You said it. he gave up like, you know, 60, 70 pounds on the guy and he was able to frustrate him uh, to an extent. But really a real impressive performance as well from Pascal Siakam, his first game back, of course, after being in COVID protocols. And you said it, he played 42 minutes. We thought they were going to ease him in, but Nick Nurse doesn't ease anybody in. He throws him out there and, and it's sink or swim for these guys. And, and Pascal, you know, absolutely rose to the occasion. Uh, what did you think of him last night against Philly? Oh, I keep saying last night, the night before. I'm all, I'm all. Yeah, time has no meaning no anymore. Uh, I'm told, I'm told that it'll be 2022 in a few days and looking forward right? to that given, <laughs> given how 2021 is gone. But yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's been a tough year for Pascal Siakam too, right? And he was sort of putting it together over the last month or so before going into the protocols a couple weeks ago. And that's the thing is he's been out for so long now. Granted, he talked about this the other night too, that 
his symptoms were a lot more mild than when he had COVID last March. It hit him really hard last year. He lost 15 pounds, wasn't really looking or, or feeling the same when he came back. And, and maybe not for the rest of last season as he sort of looked to get his conditioning and his rhythm back. Uh, but this year, obviously things have changed not just for him, but for the team in that everybody on the team is fully vaccinated. It sounds like all the guys that were out that had tested positive either were asymptomatic or had minor symptoms. So I think the transition back for those guys, including Siakam, is going to be smoother. We saw it from Pascal on Tuesday. But at the same time, whenever you're away from the basketball court for two weeks, it's going to take time to get your conditioning and your rhythm back. I, I think that was more visible with Gary Trent Gary. Jr. And, yeah. and and Malachi Flynn the other night. And it didn't show for, for Siakam, but he admitted it afterwards. He was exhausted. Yeah. And you can't really ease a guy back when, when you're still as undermanned as the Raptors are and you're relying on him. Um, so, yeah, the 42 minutes, I, I do think Nick Nurse, and he knows this, they're going to have to be conscious of the the minutes here over the next week or so but I, I mean the good news here Nikki is that the Raptors are turning a corner as bad as it's felt and it's felt really bad at times over the last couple weeks they're coming out of this outbreak and it, it does really seem like they're in in a better place to recover from it than they were a year ago again low bar just based on how it it was essentially a turning point for them a year ago, right? In, oh, yeah. in March, the Raptors were getting closer to 500. They were digging themselves out of that hole that they created for themselves early in the season with the two and eight start. They have the outbreak, guys. As I said, they they really struggled with severe cases from the virus. They come back. They're not themselves. The Raptors just fall apart in March and and, and from there the rest of the season. Uh, but I do think. Not only are they in a better position just based on the vaccines and all of that to recover from this, but there are actually some silver linings to be found now that, again, easier to say now that they're coming out of it, but there there are some positives or at least some some cause for optimism here coming out of the outbreak. There definitely is, and Russ has to be one of them, right? We know Fred Van Vliet, how hard he's been pushed this season. And even though he was live tweeting, it felt like every second uh, during that Philly game, we know he was actively watching. Um, him sitting out can definitely only bode well for you know the, the rest of the, of the season. And and there there are some good things. I mean, it has been the strangest week uh, I've ever been a part of with the Toronto Raptors. You know, m- missing three games, they steal a win from Golden State. And you're right, coming out of this with the two losses that they did have, it still feels like a win for some reason, right? And the good news is, yes, guys aren't as affected as they were last year. That's a good thing. None of the coaching staff has gotten sick or missed some time. That's a great thing. And the league has changed their mandate and their protocols, right? December 27th, uh, their quarantine period is no longer 10 days. It's just six days. So you got to think that, knock on wood, if anything does happen again for the Raptors as they get healthy, uh, it's not going to be as bad as this last week and a half or two weeks has been. Because I don't know about you, but not having access to the team, them not practicing. It was such a, a mind bender for me because it was like, well, what do we do? Everything was just kind of in limbo. And even them not practicing the day after that Philly game, which I thought they were supposed to, 
it's just been it's just been a, a really odd time in Raptorland. So I can't imagine how it feels to be in it. I don't know. Maybe it's not as weird for them because they're living through it. But has it felt as weird to you, Josh, as it has for me? It, it has. I mean, it, it hit hard and it hit them all at once. But I mean, while we're talking about silver linings, I think there might be one there, too, when you look at some of these other teams. I mean, the reality at this point in professional sports in the NBA is as long as games are being played and, and the NBA has made it clear that's the plan, Yeah, it's, go it's going to spread. There's no escaping it. By the end of next month, every team will have had to deal with this to some degree, and most of them already have, but... I think if you look at some of these other teams that are being hit in waves, like you, you look at a couple teams the Raptors are, are fighting with in the standings right now, Boston and Atlanta. So for Boston, they have three players in the protocol pretty early in the month, mid-month, including one starter in Al Horford. They lose a bunch of games. They get those guys back. And then they lose a whole bunch more, five, six guys, including Jason Tatum, the Celtics two and five over that stretch. Atlanta, they lose Trey Young around the same time, followed soon after by Clint Capella, Danilo Gallinari. They lose a bunch of games. They get guys back, and then they lose, what, 13 more guys, including John Collins, Bogdanovich. They're 1-4 and four over, those, over that stretch. So for a lot of teams that are being hit in waves, like COVID's going to end up costing them five, six, seven games, maybe more. The hope for the Raptors is because it hit all at once and at a time where, I mean, you mentioned it, three of four games got postponed. They have the little break over Christmas. They have a couple days off now before playing the Clippers on Friday and hopefully getting guys back. Maybe they only end up sacrificing two games there. So I, I think there's a bit of a silver lining there, as well as you mentioned the rest. Fred Van Vliet banged up. A lot of guys were banged up. This gives Ken Burtz some time to rest that nagging knee injury that he's had. Precious Achua with Precious. the shoulder. Um, OG Ananobi with the hip. And, yeah, I mean, it does seem like, knock on wood, hopefully once they start getting guys back from an injury standpoint, this might be the healthiest they've been all year long. One more silver lining before we, we get to the Kalos here. It has to be, of course, for everyone who's had an opportunity to play in the, in the emergency call-ups. Uh, and DJ Wilson seems to be one guy who's getting a lot of attention, and people seem to think that he has a great fit with this team because he's another, you know, uh, long, athletic, that kind of, you know, prototype Maasai uh, player for this team. H how has he impressed you, and do you think there's a fit and a, and a role for him on this team? Certainly right now there is. I mean, even once the Raptors start getting guys back, I, I mean, at 6'10", he's the tallest player on this roster, and we saw that pay dividends uh, against Joel Embiid. I mean, like I said, they didn't have yeah. the bodies to bang with him and keep up with him physically, but the length and, and physicality of DJ Wilson uh, helped neutralize Joel Embiid a little bit in the second half. They really missed Wilson in the first half as he was waiting to clear protocol. I've been impressed with him and and what he's brought just in terms of his energy. And he knows how to play, right? He has some mm. NBA experience. So I think he's been a good fit. The problem in terms of seeing any kind of long-term fit for Wilson on this team is 
The Raptors are right up against the luxury tax. It's the reason why they've gone with 16 guys instead of 17 to start the year. Until they figure out what's happening with Goran Dragic in terms of whether there's a buyout or whether they save some money in a trade before the deadline, it's hard to see them adding a 17th player if it's going to push them over the tax line. So this might be it for DJ Wilson, this stretch here while they have him under a hardship 10-day. Uh, after that, I'm not sure, but if he's a guy that's still floating around there when the Raptors do have things figured out from a roster standpoint around the trade deadline, February 10th, then absolutely he's a guy that's more than earned a, a, a longer look on this team. Or maybe another team, maybe somebody else scoops him up. Yeah, he just seems so perfect for the Raptors in the sense that, you know, he's a first-round pick. The Raptors, he's like one of those projects that the Raptors can and have found success in developing and, and grooming. And, you know, he, Nick Nurse said as much, he's had two good games for them. He likes his balance. He's his activity. He's a right place, right time kind of guy. Um, and he has the IQ. I don't think he's someone that's going to be sidelined for a long time. Um, but he definitely has been contributing for the Raptors, and, and that's a good thing. Like Once again, you know, the Raptors were able to find a, a fit, a need and a fit, and, and, and make it work these last two games. Absolutely. We got the Kalos to do. Let's do those after the break after we talk to Kia. We got Kia Nurse coming up on the other side of the break. Looking forward to chatting with Kia, and we'll do that next here on the Raptors Beat. It's Rick you're me! The Raptors Beat goes inside the locker room, bringing you the latest from your Toronto Raptors. On TSN 1050, the Raptors live here. Josh and Nikki back with you on the Raptors beat. Really looking forward to this week's guest, and we got her on the line now, making her her Raptors beat debut. It's Phoenix Mercury guard and TSN basketball analyst Kia Nurse. Kia, welcome. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Josh and Nikki. Of course, of course. Now, first, uh, I, I want to get an update from you. How's your rehab going? It's good. It's a, a bit of a grind every single day. It's been nice to be back in Canada and at least have some family around and hang out with my nephew to be able to kind of get my mind off of it a little bit more. But it's always a, an up and down battle with it. There's good days and bad, but it's progressing and that's all that matters. What's your timeline looking like, Kia, to, to actually get back to basketball activities and, and will you be able to start uh, when, when things get going for the WNBA in, in April? Oh, Nikki coming with the tough questions in the morning. Um, <laughs> I would definitely say that uh, I'm looking right now, my, my goal is to kind of just stay within the, the weeks that I'm in. But um, the next big thing will be going back to running um, and assisted running as well. And so in February, I'll take a quick trip back to Phoenix in the first week and see the surgeon, hopefully get cleared to be able to do that. And then because the WNBA season is pushed forward this year with the World Championships happening in September, um, I'll probably miss a little bit more than I would on a typical WNBA season, but hoping to be back playing um, sometime in the middle of the season. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you on the court again soon. And Kia, it's it's such a strange time around professional sports and around the world, obviously. You look at the way that all the different leagues are approaching this Omicron breakout, this outbreak. Um, specifically in the NBA and 
they they've been pretty clear the priority the 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 plan is to keep things moving however possible we've seen replacement players and and a few games postponed but the, for the most part teams are having to play through what what they're dealing with uh, fortunately the WNBA doesn't start camp until April but depending on how things are are going at the time like how would how do you want to see your league the uh, the WNBA handle um the the sort of situation or the circumstances that the world is in right now yeah i mean it's tough i think we are all seeing so many different methods and tactics across the different leagues that are occurring right now and the good thing about that is that there's different perspectives so for our league by the time we start up we're going to be able to see what worked in which league and what didn't work and so then hopefully we can create the safest plan for everybody um it's really easy to say that the players and the coaches and their families' safety and health is of the utmost importance, and that's how it should be. But we all know that these leagues and these organizations lost a ton of money in the pandemic. And so I think, to me, what it seems like they're trying to do right now is avoid the worst possible case scenario, which would probably be canceling seasons altogether. From a player's perspective, the worst case scenario other than that would be going back into a bubble season again. And so I'm hoping that that's not where we end up because that was a, a lot, took a lot of a mental and physical toll on a number of different players and so what I really just hope is that we have something in place and, and the WNBA and the players um, and our player union is really really good at saying if we don't feel safe or if we don't think this is um, something that's beneficial for us we're going to stand up and we're going to say it um, and so I think it'll be a lot of you know continued testing I, I would really just like to see really clear standards and really clear protocols because the problem is the protocols are so fluid and they change so much with obviously the CDC in the States and, and everything that's happening around the world, that the protocols start to change in the leagues as well. So something that's really clear and concise and understandable for us as players, I think will be huge. And then just sticking to it, right? Like everybody doesn't want sports to end or the world to stop. It's, it's hard right now because we feel like we've, as a society, probably taken two or three steps forward in this pandemic and now we're taking 10 back. And so um, just making sure that health and safety is the number one priority and we find a way um, as a society, to, to be safe within our communities and within our practice facilities and where we work. Kia, speaking with uh, speaking on that player's perspective note, uh, you know, we saw what happened with the Toronto Raptors on, on going against the Cleveland Cavaliers with guys that they didn't even know they met <laughs> 90 minutes before. Just how bizarre is that? We know that athletes are creatures of habit and you guys like routine, but how difficult is something like that? And have you ever experienced anything like that in your career? Not necessarily to that extent in my career. Um, obviously, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when you come into training camp at the beginning of the season and there's so many new players that you don't know. Um, this year, especially with Phoenix, we had a number of our players overseas late into the training camp. So we had a bunch of new players to the league or players who had been out of the league and are coming in. And it's kind of getting to know new players, starting to learn and understand what they want to do in terms of their strengths and their weaknesses. There's obviously a bit of a communication barrier. So those are like the more obvious things that happen from a player's perspective. And, and doing this in season would be absolutely insane to me. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think the one thing you have to try and remember is that there's a reason that these players are here. It's not like Nick Nurse and Masai went to their local grocery store and said, hey, you look like you could play on the Raptors tomorrow. Come to our team. Um, these are players who obviously have the skill set to be in the NBA, who have probably been around a lot of these teams, been in and out of teams in the NBA as well. And so having that as an understanding is great. But I think the biggest thing, like you said, athletes are creatures of habit because it allows us to kind of maintain all of our responsibilities and everything we have to do in life at the same time 
feeling like we put in enough work every single day. And so for the people who are in health and safety protocols, that's where it really, it starts to change because all of a sudden you're kind of taken out of what you do. You're not sure if you can stay in game shape when you're in your house. And so um, it's definitely difficult on both sides. And uh, I feel for the players who are going through it right now. Joined by Kia Nurse. And Kia, I want to get your take on some of the changes to the WNBA schedule and format, some of the things that they've done here over the last couple of years. And one of them that we saw uh, in the season for the first time last year is the Commissioner's Cup, uh, sort of an in-season tournament and something that the NBA has talked about doing or or something similar uh, that the NBA has talked about doing over the last few years. Is that something that you like, that you thought worked well within the schedule and that you think the NBA should uh, adopt over the next few years? Well, I obviously did like the Commissioner's Cup. I thought there were some really good changes that we were able to make to our schedule. Um, For us, obviously, that's also an incentive of the the monetary prize becomes more of an incentive um, because it's an additional bonus for us that we we didn't have before. And so um, I think it it allowed us to continue to to play our sport at the highest level possible. Obviously, makes the regular season games. It adds a little bit to each and every one that you play, especially if they're within your conference. And so... I know there's always a lot of random talk around the NBA, like, oh, like players don't play super hard until it gets to the playoffs. And I don't know if this is a, a not a solution because that's not always true. Players are playing hard every time that they step on the floor. Um, but, you know, maybe this changes the mindset of every single time we see a team in our conference or every single time we see a team um, that we need to beat in order to get to that kind of commissioner's cup or that intern, that into the tournament. It adds a little bit of incentive. It might add a little bit of extra oomph around some of the games. Um, so you could see, I could see the NBA honestly adopting it it might be interesting yeah i definitely would love to see that just a little more oomph to every single game uh Kia, <laughs> a little more oomph to your schedule too this year 36 games uh to the regular season now uh what does that mean uh for the league for the players does it change load management does it change your approach and and obviously it's got to be a good thing for the league i imagine yeah, I mean, anytime we can get extra games for me, it's really good right now because I got to rehab do <laughs> some of them. But um, I honestly do think it might change a little bit of load management. We don't really see that a whole lot in our league. Again, our, our games are only 36 uh, compared to the 80 whatnot that the men play. And so, um, for some of our older players, you might see it a little bit more. Really, Sue Bird's probably one of the only players that I've seen in recent years um, really work through the load management and play um, some games and then take some off for, for rest purposes. Um, I do think, you know, with this moving forward, it then changes our playoff schedule a little bit as well. And so that was a big change that we needed. I, this is my first year in the playoffs with Phoenix, and we had to play in that single elimination game and then the second round single elimination game to get all the way to the finals. And it makes a difference when you're actually in the series. I remember sitting in the locker room after the Seattle win, and everybody was like, we're in a series now. We're okay. We can breathe. Um, <laughs> you know, giving an opportunity for – players and and teams because on any given night the cool thing about basketball is it can be anybody's game and so you might have a player who goes unconscious one night in that single elimination game doesn't miss anything that they touch and so their team moves forward and you didn't get an opportunity to really fight for that championship that you wanted um you know i think for a lot of people they don't know before the playoff schedule that we had recently with the single eliminations it was the same way that the nba is now with the conferences the west and the east uh, the problem was in that time, I believe the Eastern Conference and WNBA was really strong. So the top four teams from both conferences would go to the playoffs, but the East would have better records in their top six or seven teams than they would have in the West. And so they decided we're just going to take the top eight teams from the entire league and we'll move that way. 
And I think that's something that the NBA might have to look at adopting too at some point, right? How many times have we seen the Western Conference Finals be super strong and then all of a sudden the finals are not as great? And so you kind of just want to see, as a fan, you want to see the two best teams play in the finals at the end of the day. And so that might be something they look at doing as well and um, definitely something I'm excited about moving forward, having series from the moment we get into that playoff. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. I know a lot of people have been clamoring for seating based on record rather than conference. And now for the first time in in years, decades, maybe in the NBA, we're starting to see uh, a balance shift towards the Eastern Conference. So, yeah, I agree with you. Do away with the conference standings. Let's do seating. Kia, I I wish we had more time, but I know you got to run. Let's do this again soon. But have a happy and healthy new year and hope to see you back on the court soon. Thank you. Thanks, guys, so much. I hope you guys have a great day, and Happy New Year to all of you as well. Happy New Year. Thanks, Kia. There she is, Kia Nurse, and always great to catch up with Kia. Uh, Nikki, we still have the Kalos to do, so let's go through that. In case you're joining us for the first time, each week we hand out our Kalo points, of course, an award named after the greatest Raptor of all time, and each week we honor and acknowledge some of the top performers of the week so let's start off nikki with your three points who are they going to okay my three points uh, i'm going to give it to pascal um his game against philly just right back into the fire didn't seem to miss a beat carried the team on his back uh, he's, this is the kind of Pascal that we need to see night in, night out, and this is the all-star level Pascal that you know we've we've come to enjoy. And and I I thought it was great that he was able to make an immediate impact um, as soon as you know as soon as he did, missing as much time as he did. Who do you got? For my three points, I think I've got to go with Nick Nurse for this week. The oh. one of the strange one of the strangest weeks hey. we've seen, and, and in order to manage that. I mean, I, I think it's taken a lot of patience and the, uh, of course, the willingness and the ability to adapt and adjust on the fly. We know that that's a Nick Nurse specialty, and it's mm-hmm. been tested maybe as much or more than than ever. I mean, I know he's seen some funky things in the past, coaching <laughs> in different leagues, different places, but. Same as, as Kia was saying, like, everybody's been through something in their basketball career just in terms of, like, all right, here's a strange game. We've got to figure it out. But this was a whole nother level. Nick, like the other players, are meeting these new guys. He's meeting these new guys 90 minutes before tip. They're having a meeting, uh, a walkthrough on the court an hour and a half before the game in Cleveland, trying to put in anything they can. Here is the most basic Plays that we run, inbound plays, different sets, try to pick up as much as you can and then go out and play and try not to lose by 45 points. But yeah. uh, I think Nick's done a great job this week in keeping these guys together. We saw that in a hard-fought loss against Philadelphia, and hopefully he gets some guys back this week. Who, who are you giving your two points to? That's fair. That's a good call, actually. Uh, my two points are going to go a little off-beat uh, off as well. Uh, I'm going to give it to the fans. Um, we saw it was a weird one, right? There's only half capacity right now at Scotiabank Arena uh, against Philly. You know, the capacity allowed is 9,000. There's, I think, just under 7,000 uh, that went to Scotiabank uh, that night. It's it's tough right now. I know people are kind of, you know, hesitant to be in large crowds and, and, and all those things. But the fans and 
to be out there to support the team. You know how much it means to them. Um, I'm going to give two points to the fans who made it out to Scotia to see Philly. And it's funny, like against Philly, Josh, I mean, only 7,000 people. I mean, this is the first time that Philly has been back in town since that game seven loss and Joel Embiid and all that, all that happening. Um, so it was, it was weird that it was only, you know, just under 7,000. But the fact that there were 7,000 people in the building and cheering, uh, I'm going to give it to them. And poor Danny Green is still waiting to get still his ring. Waiting. I mean, he couldn't have gotten anyway because he was in the protocol. But even before he went into the protocol, he had said that he, he didn't want to get it in front of a half-capacity crowd. He's going to wait again yeah. until April. What, what are the chances, just based on the, the way the universe is unfolding here, that he gets his ring in April? It seems like it, there's just some greater force that is keeping him from getting this ring. But hopefully... <laughs> Danny's able to do that in front of a packed house at Scotiabank Arena sometime in the near future. For my two points, I'm going with DJ Wilson. We talked about him oh, earlier. Yeah. I, I mean, not only have we been impressed with what we've seen from him on the court through two games, but how about the journey that this guy has had in order to get back into the NBA, in order to get to the Raptors here over the last week? He's gone from OKC, where he was playing for the Thunder's G League affiliate, to Vegas for the G League showdown. Then he gets the call from the Raptors, so he meets them in Chicago for a game that doesn't even get played. It's postponed. He goes to L.A. to spend some time with his family over Christmas, meets the team again in Cleveland, and then flies to Toronto. So there's an example of a player that, I mean, he he's just looking for his opportunity clamoring for that opportunity to get back to get another shot in the nba and then credit to him he's taking advantage of it so i've been really impressed with him like i said i'm not sure that there is a roster spot uh, on this team for him long term just based unfortunately on the raptors cap situation it has nothing to do with him and how much they like him uh but uh, hopefully he finds a a home in the nba soon because i I, he's an nba player yeah yeah, he really is. I, you know, spending time with the Bucks organization as well. Like, you're coming out of a that's a that's a great place to be in, and obviously he has the IQ and has proven that. Uh, okay, for my last one, my one point, I'm going to go again a little off kilter here, but that's it's been that kind of week, right? So why not? Uh, I'm going to give it to the the Raptors organization and and the PR staff that has taken care of us. Look, it's been it's a really weird time. For this team trying to navigate through all the protocols not just the nba protocols but also what they have to do with toronto public health and those guidelines and just trying to figure everything out you you just talked about what uh, dj wilson went through this past week the raptors as well right going to chicago coming back getting canceled it's been a nightmare for this team um and the organization and them having to navigate through all of this and and not really skip a beat has been just absolutely uh, impressive. So I'm going to give them a point, give them a little shout out and some love. What do you got? I like it. Raptors PR on the board. Jennifer Quinn, Phil (laughs) Summers, they've been great in terms of keeping us safe and keeping the the team safe and and everything rolling. Uh, I'm going to go with Pascal Siakam for my one point. You, You talked about him and to be able to come back from a two-week absence with anything. I mean, whether it's it's injury or rest, or in this case with, with COVID, to be able to come back and just pick up where you left off like that in a situation where, again, 
and like we talked about, he's learning these new guys. He's trying to figure out, okay, uh, who, who are my teammates? Who are these guys? What can they do? How do I play with them? And it wasn't just, I'm going to go get mine. I, I thought he played a great two-way team game, the eight assists yeah. uh, the other night against Philadelphia. Um, so leaderboard is getting pretty close up top here. Fred Van Vliet hopefully will be back. Uh, this week, uh, the Raptors are, are practicing today for the first time in two weeks. They expect to have Fred Van Vliet, maybe a few others. Uh, right now, Van Vliet leads the way, the KLO leaderboard with 24 points. Scotty Barnes hopefully will be back soon as well with 21. Pascal Siakam, after getting four points from us combined this week, is now at 16 now coming up as we usually do in the last segment we're going to look ahead to the upcoming week but this week as we look ahead it it means the return of a former raptor an nba champion a guy that is beloved from a a lot of fans in this city sergi baka back in toronto for the first time since february 2020 he'll be in town with the clippers on new year's eve we're going to share some of our favorite on- and off-court Sergi Baca memories, and there are a lot of them, some really fun ones too, so we'll do that coming up after the break here on the Raptors Beat. Now back to the Raptors Beat with Josh Lewinberg and Nikki Reyes on TSN 1050. The Raptors live here. Crunch time on the Raptors Beat. And, Nikki, a busy week for the Toronto Raptors. Four games coming up here. The New York Knicks are in town on Sunday. Then a back-to-back at home with the Spurs on the road in Milwaukee against the Bucks on Wednesday. But first, the Raptors host the L.A. Clippers on New Year's Eve, a Friday night game. No Kawhi, no Paul George, but a familiar face coming back to town, Serge Ibaka. Scheduled to play his first game in Toronto since February 25th, 2020. That was a game against Milwaukee. Five He's going to get booed, right? They're going to boo him. Five points, two of 15 from the field, one of 10 from the from three, the last game that Serge played in Toronto. Not his best, but he had some great moments. Are they going to boo him? I would think not. No. <laughs> no, I, I, no. The one thing is like, and I'm sure as he was looking ahead to his Toronto return, he was anticipating a packed house and, and a standing O, and he's still going to get that from the six or 7,000 fans in attendance. But it's a shame that there won't be more people there to give Serge the, the love that he deserves. Uh, a, a great Raptor, an NBA champion, uh, and a, a player, a, a player with an interesting tenure here too, right? Because, the Raptors acquired him in that trade for Terrence Ross from Orlando in 2017. It really took him some time to find his comfort level, I think both on and off the court, right? Like he struggled in the playoffs for a couple of years in those second-round sweeps against Cleveland. Uh, off the court, he didn't really look like he was fitting in with the guys in the locker room. I think a lot of people thought it might be a short-lived tenure. A lot of Raptors yeah. fans turned on him pretty quick and we're like okay well what can you do with this contract can you buy him out can you like throw in some draft picks and see if somebody will just see if you can just unload this contract but there was that turning point i thought in 2019 um he he really worked hard during the offseason came to camp in great shape nick nurse 
sells him on this idea of moving permanently to the center position, which meant platooning with Jonas Valanciunas and then eventually Marc Gasol. But he really found a role that worked for him and made the most of it, made the most of his minutes. He was great on the floor that season. He was even better in the playoffs, had some huge moments, and was essential to the Raptors' championship run. And then obviously... It's can't talk about Serge Ibaka without all of the off the court stuff that he did. Uh, obviously, the charitable work and giving back to the foundation, but also opening up and really showing his personality through his various uh, online social media yep. shows, the the cooking, the fashion, the talent show during the pandemic. So, Nikki, it's a tough question because there's a lot of them, but. What are some of your favorite Serge Ibaka moments, both on the court and off the court? That is a tough question. And, and, you know, just kind of piggybacking on what you just said there, I wish Serge showed more of that when he got here, right? I feel cheated because it was just towards the tail end of his tenure in Toronto that we really got to see who he was and, and like, all the different facets uh, of Serge. Um, but he... There's a lot. I think the play... I think that the championship run, you know, it was an up-and-down... Uh, bit of a performance for him but there is that one three in that game yep. in that game seven against philly where it was right over ben simmons and i was like okay well if surge is going to do that then then we got this on lock and then it was that game four against golden state where i still wasn't convinced that the raptors were going to win like i maybe i was just trying to do the bizarro you know bizarro hex but uh his game four performance i was like okay this is actually going to happen. Oh, my God, the Raptors are going to actually win uh, this. So those are the two. Maybe it's a revisionist history, uh, recency bias, but those are the ones that really stand out in my mind. And then off the court, like, um, I, I just remember Serge, first of all, he was always late to whenever he spoke to the media post game. <laughs> it always yep. took him for ever to come out. I don't know if he was doing rehab or therapy or whatnot or just took long in the shower. But he always came out dressed to the nines, and he always smelled amazing. That's a lot of information for the listeners right now. But Serge Ibaka always smelled really good, and he was always really thoughtful <laughs> with his answers. So you would wait a long time to hear from him, but at least when he did speak, he was always thoughtful and, and attentive and, and very you know cooperative with the media. So, uh, yeah, I was one of the who, one of those people who didn't think Serge was going to stick here in, in Toronto at first because it almost looked like he didn't want to be here, but like he really was an integral, uh, you know, cornerstone to the championship run and 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 I think to this franchise. How about you? Well, that's what took so long after the games is he had to look his best, Dude. right? Dude. Yeah. And, <laughs> and listen, speaking as somebody from the media, like that that was a huge turning point for me when he really started to open up because you're right, the one constant from the his first game in Toronto to his last game is how long he would take after games <laughs> and we would wait for him back like in the in the early days, 2017-2018 and he wasn't great as a quote at that point. You're right. It did seem right, like he didn't sure. really have much to say. He didn't He didn't really want to be there. We would wait for like two hours after the game and, and he'd give us nothing. And we'd be like, well, well why, why are we still here? But then right. you're right. Like even, even while we were waiting, even if we had to wait the hour or two hours after that, after he opened up and really became just, just like this most fascinating, the most fascinating Raptor ever. He's so worldly. It, yeah. It was worth it. It was worth it to have those really interesting conversations with him. And one of the things that always stuck out to me, uh, talking to Serge just before the championship 
series began against Golden State was some perspective from him talking about his days with OKC. They go to the finals that one year and they play Miami and they lose. And he had thought afterwards that like, okay, we've got this great young team with the Thunder. We're going to be back here every year. We lost this one, but whatever, we'll be back. It's fine. And he said that because they never did get back, he just had this perspective of what it takes and how hard it is to get there. I'm not sure that like as much as that championship run meant to so many guys, obviously Kyle Lauer, you think of about Fred Van Vliet, and and Marcus Saul, some of the veterans on this team, I'm not sure anybody appreciated that run as much as Sergi Baca. So yeah, on court moments for me, you mentioned it, the shot before the shot, the shot, Kawhi Leonard in game yeah. seven against Philadelphia. That's what everyone thinks about, but Serge hit the shot to make the Kawhi shot possible. Uh in terms of the off the court stuff, I mean I loved all of it, all of that stuff. The the talent show during the pandemic when everyone just needed, wanted any kind of content. I thought that was incredible. Yeah. Uh, how hungry are you? The episode with Gross. Kawhi Leonard and the <laughs> beef penis pizza that yeah. stands out to me, and and not so much for the 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 pizza, but for the interview with Kawhi. I mean, Kawhi is not a guy that just opens up to anybody with anybody but some of the stuff that Serge was able to get from Kawhi was incredible and that's just Serge Ibaka for you like he he had this way of of having people feel comfortable around him and opening up and and then the the fashion uh show with OG Ananobi the episode where he puts on what looked like the Kenny getup from South Park that big orange jacket and comes out (laughs) of the room and Serge is just like what the f is is this that like th- those are the moments that stand out to me um so yeah i i'm i'm really looking forward to th- this is a different sergi baka later in his career still recovering from that back surgery that cost him the playoffs last year and most of last season he's had a really bizarre year just in terms of i mean he went down to the the g league to get some conditioning stint um time uh, and then he his role has kind of gone back and forth up and down he's coming off the bench he had some dnps he was in the protocols averaging career lows across the board but hey the raptors sure miss him because even though they they, cam birch and precious achua have had some moments this year the raptors they haven't really found a, a comfort level, a, a fit at center since Ibaka left. And yeah. he didn't want to leave. Let's not forget about that, too. Right. Yeah, I, I exactly that. that. That's what makes it a little bit more, you know, of a bitter pill to swallow. So uh, as we get set to wrap things up here, Josh, OK, we got to look at the week ahead. How do you think the Raptors are going to fare against Serge and the Clippers this Friday? I think they beat the Clippers. I actually think this is the week the Raptors get back to 500. They're three games okay. below right now, but I, I'm going to predict a three-game winning streak here. I think the Raptors beat the Clippers, the Knicks, and the Spurs all three games at home before eventually losing to the Bucks on Wednesday. That's going to be a tough one in the second night of a back-to-back. Hey, maybe Giannis will rest this one, too. Remember the last game we thought the Raptors were going to lose to the Bucks, and then Giannis rests last minute? Um, but... Uh, another thing that, I mean, the Raptors, I'm sure, are, are happy to see the calendar turn to 2022. Um, a tough year for the Raptors, a tough year for a lot of people. 
Uh, but th- I, I think there's cause for optimism here going into the new year. I'm going to say, uh, what is it, like skeptical optimism, cautious optimism Caus- here? Cautious, yeah. For the Raptors and for the year as a whole. But I, I, think, I think this is going to be a good year. I'm getting married in 2022, so I, I, I'm positive. I'm optimistic. I think this is going to be a good year, Nikki. It's going to be a great year, Josh. And thanks for inviting us all to your wedding just now. That's very nice of you. <laughs> of uh, I do. I do think the Raptors are going to get uh, to at least 500 this season. And, and I think it, it's got to be better than last year, right? It's already trending towards that. Um, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I think it's just one of those things where once the calendar flips, it's one of those, okay, it, it's a subconscious uh, pivot. I hate that word. It's it's been overused during this pandemic, but it's just one of those pivots. New calendar. Let's do things differently. And, and I'm looking forward to the new year, definitely. So that'll do it for us for 2021. As always, thank you to Chris Diavero back in studio, and to everybody, a happy, healthy new year. Check yes. us out on. Uh, Spotify and on uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, you could listen to all of our shows from 2021. Rate, review, follow, and subscribe. We really appreciate all the feedback, and we'll be back with you for our first show of 2022 next week. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year.